it uh, back? Was it uh, was it Christmas? Was it back uh, the end of the year last year? Christmas. I know my family. Uh, we went to see the movie. Actually, a couple of us. Uh, we bought the movie this week. As I was thinking about this, we bought the movie and watched it again on Friday night. But you know, uh, some people take it a little more seriously. In fact, no doubt, some of you just recently celebrated Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you, right? May the 4th, you get it? May the 4th be with you. And some people take it way too far. I heard that there's a religion called Jediism. And in fact, a census was done in England not too long ago that said that 400,000 people in England identified themselves under the religion of Jediism. Now, I haven't documented that myself, but I just got to tell you if it's true, that's weird. Amen? (laughs) But part of the reason for that is when you watch Star Wars, you're going to hear about something called the Force. Get it? May the 4th. May the force be with you. That's what that's all about. It's basically this impersonal or largely impersonal force that affects the entire universe. A spokesman for the Jediism, Jedi Council. I didn't even want to say that. Is there really a Jediism, Jedi Council? And do they have a spokesman? Okay, we're going to move beyond that. Amen. But apparently, a spokesman for that council said, we can no more understand the force and our place within it than a gear and a clock could comprehend its function in moving the hands across the face of the clock. Okay. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You know, it's kind of strange, but there has always been this notion whether it's in religion specifically or whether it's just in popular culture, that God is an impersonal force. That God is everything. That's called pantheism. That, God, that all is God. Or that God is in everything. That's called panentheism. God is in everything. But in contrast to that idea, to those ideas, to that Star Wars force idea... The Bible says that God, the God of the Bible, the one true God, is personal. And it's not even a little bit that He's personal. If you read the Bible, in fact, if you have read the Bible, and I know many of us have not, and maybe this this thought, this idea of God being personal is going to be totally brand new to you, but if you read the Bible, you might have even started taking it for granted. God is so personal in His Word that we've just sort of taken that for granted that that He is a very personal God. It's all over the pages of His Word. Today, as Pastor Chris said, is the last in our series called God Is. We're trying to learn what is God like. And the Bible says, and we want to talk about together this weekend, that God is many things. And one of the things that God is is that God is personal. Praise the Lord. Amen. The first thing I want to talk about is this. God is personal in who He is. God is personal in His very nature. Apparently, there is something about that concept of God being an impersonal 
force that appeals to us for some reason. Isn't that true? Isn't it a very common idea just in popular thinking or whether in religion that God is just some cosmic impersonal force that's floating around? In fact, many Eastern religions have gods that are not personal. But the Bible teaches that God is personal in nature. Think about the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. The very first statement in Scripture is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God was already being active. God was already getting his, if you want to say it this way, getting his fingers dirty, amen? God was already doing things. God was already involved. God was already had a name. In the beginning, God created. In verse 3, then God, what did God do in verse 3? Then God did what? God said. God speaks. Then then God said some things. God God said, let there be some things. And some things came about. God said, let there be light. And and, and light came from that darkness. In verse 4, it says, God saw the light. And, and, And he made a statement about it. He said that the light was good. And then God separated. God acted. God was involved. God separated the light from the darkness. Verse 12. Again, it says, uh, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their, their kind. And God, again, saw that it was good. God made a decision. God made a judgment that it was good. Verse uh, 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Again, God made a decision, and God acted in a way that he decided that he would create beings that were in some way what? Resembling or looking like or in some way like him. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, by the seventh day God completed, God finished his work which he had done and he rested on the, on, the, on the seventh day, God decided again to do something and he decided to rest. Throughout the Bible, starting from the very beginning, it is clear that God is not an object, that God is not a force, that he is a very personal being who is actively involved in what he created. So I want to think about some of those things that we just read in Genesis 1 and 2 and some of the other things that we find in other places in God's Word and think about what does God's Word say about the personal nature of God. Write this down. First of all, the Bible says that He is an individual. God is not in everything. God is not everything. God God not being in everything is basically saying God is not a force. God is a real individual. And, and, and us saying that God is not everything, God is not that chair. How ridiculous is that? Amen? God is not that speaker right there. God is not everything. God is a distinct individual. Secondly, he has a conscious, a self-consciousness. And by that, I don't mean that he's nervous, okay? I mean a self-awareness. He has a will. God wants, and that can be translated, the Greek word for will, the, the, Bible, the word the Bible uses in the New Testament, for will can be translated, he wants, he wishes. And 
I don't want to say it in a way that sounds like bless his heart, he's hoping, but I'm saying that God desires some things. The, the, the technical term that we use for that is that God wills. God has a will. God chooses. God decides for some things to happen, and he acts upon those things. God has a name. God knows things. God feels things. God cares. God is concerned. And again, I don't want to give the impression, I'm not talking about that he's worried, that he's anxious, but that he cares about us. He's concerned about our lives. And his primary relationship is with people, with other personal beings. God can work in nature. God can work God can work through nature, but that is not his focus. His focus is to be concerned about us and to work in us and to work through us in a relationship. So what does all that mean? God is not an object. God is not a force. He's not a machine. He's not a computer. He is an individual, specific being who relates to us, who cares for us, and who wants to work in a very real and personal way in our lives. Now, he happens to be the supreme being in all the universe, but still, he is personal. And what we're pointing out here is that we could identify those personal characteristics of God, whether we were around or not. Friends, the Bible says, as we've learned in this series, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What we're about to talk about is how we interact with this personal God, but we we don't even have to have interaction with Him for Him to be personal. God was personal before we were ever on the scene. So what does that say? He is personal in His nature. He is personal in who He is. It is who God is to be personal. And now that we are around we can see that God is personal in how He deals with us. So let's talk about that. Those things that we are observing as we open up God's Word as we, that we just talked about, God is a real individual who cares about things, who works in situations, who leads our lives. We can see that that very personal God very clearly works in our lives. There's no passage that demonstrates that any better than Psalm 139. If you have your Bible, turn over there because I'm going to read several scriptures out of Psalm 139. Now we've already actually looked at Psalm 139 in this series. If you've been paying attention, in in this series, we talked about one of the attributes of God is that God knows what? What? I didn't hear you. God knows everything. And as you read... Psalm 139, it comes across very clearly. But actually, the the emphasis on God knowing everything is actually more specific than what we talked about. What it's really talking about in Psalm 139, it acknowledges the fact that in general, God knows everything, but actually, specifically, it's related to what we're talking about right now. God knows everything. No, God knows everything about me and about you. Let's look at Psalm 139, verse 1. Listen 
to how personal this God is. Listen, do we realize God does not have to be personal towards us? Amen? He says, oh Lord, you have searched me. Now think about that for just a moment. God knows you better than you know you. God studies you. God spends a lot of time paying attention to you. And you have known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. God is so personally involved in our lives that He knows what time you got up this morning. God knows when you're going to lie down in bed tonight. You understand, you know my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path. That, that word means you carefully examine my path and my lying down. By the way, that particular aspect makes you think about how you're living your life, doesn't it? God carefully examines where these feet are traveling. Makes you think, doesn't it? God carefully examines where these eyes are going on the internet. Makes you think, doesn't it? But what we're focusing on is how intimately involved He is. In fact, it says in the next verse, and you are intimately acquainted with all my ways. How personal this God is involved in our lives. Amen? Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all. God knows everything about you. He actually even knows what you're thinking before, really before you even knew what you were thinking. Amen? He certainly knows it while you're thinking it before it comes to your lips. You have enclosed me behind and before. You've surrounded my life is basically what it's saying. You've laid your hand upon me. What a precious thing to sense that God's hand is on your life. Amen? Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. I cannot understand it. Why does God care so much for me? Why is God so involved in my life? He says in verse 13, For you created, you formed, you created my, literally it says my kidneys. But, but really what he's saying is, God, you formed my inward parts, my deep inside parts. The, God, you made the deepest parts of who I am. In verse 14, he says, Lord, I am fearfully and one, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am awesomely. That word fearfully means, the word I like to put there is wowingly. I am awesomely. As I look at how I've been made, I'm in awe. I'm wowed by a God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am wonderfully made. I am distinctly. I am made in a separate, distinct kind of way. Wonderful and difficult is this. Wonderful are your works. Difficult for me to understand are your works. And my soul knows it very well. My frame, my bones, my substance, what I've made, what I'm made up of was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought. That word skillfully wrought means embroidered. It means needlework. And Pastor Robbie's doing like a, I don't even have a clue how to do needlework. <laughs> I've just seen ladies doing it. It looks like this, right? 
however you do it, it's impressive. Amen? It takes a lot of focus. It is fine work. God was embroidering your life. God was knitting together your life. Does that blow you away? You're sitting here right now amazed that God has your number, that God knows what's going on in your life, that He's speaking to you. Does it amaze you even more that He was tracking your life when you didn't even know you were alive? When you were inside of your mom, when you were conceived, God was intimately involved in shaping. And when we, every time we found out that we were going to have a child, I prayed from that moment on, God, I pray that you would just be weaving and molding. I could just see that creative process going on inside of Shannon's stomach. And I would just pray for that every day. God, I just pray that you're weaving and molding and shaping all those little arms and all those little legs and that brain and those eyes in the path of their life. Amen. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And listen to this. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me. Does that not cause you to stand back and wonder? God has a purpose for my life. Does that, does that, not, does that not grab you? At the, I got to say, am I living his purpose today? Amen. There was a track. There was a path that God had lined out for me. Am I fulfilling that? Amen. I, whatever those days are, I haven't seen that book. I don't know how many days there are, but I hope that this day wasn't wasted in that book. Amen. That I'm doing and that I'm going to continue to do what God has so intimately been involved with when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. So what are these verses saying? God is personally involved in every aspect of my life from beginning to middle to end. And He tailors. He weaves my existence and my experience of life in such a way that is particular only to me. How personal. I've always been fascinated by Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus 3, it's a very uh, important passage in my life on multiple levels. But in, in, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, it says, When the Lord saw, and this is the burning bush episode, when God spoke to Moses, He got His attention through a bush that was burning but did not burn up. It says in verse, actually verse 4, it says, When the Lord saw that He, Moses, turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush, and God said, Moses, Moses. I don't know what it is about that that, that has always just captured my attention. Maybe it's because he said it twice. But, but it, it, it just grabs my attention that God knew Moses' name. Isn't that incredible? God knows your name. In fact, there's a song that we sing, He Knows My Name. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call. 
blows me away. God knows my name. And God knows about every decade of my life. God knows about every year, about every month, about every day, about every moment of my life. God knows who my first grade teacher was. And He knows why He gave her to me. What part she played in the weaving of a young man's life. God knows. I'll ask Him one day, right? He knows the answer. God knows how hard you are trying when nobody else recognizes that. God knows what song you need to hear right now. God knows what verse. He led me to mention in this message that maybe just kind of I'm not mentioning in passing some thought that I give. God knows exactly what you needed to hear in this message right now. God knows who needs to give you a phone call next week. And God's going to lead them to do that because He knows how personal this God is with us. Amen? And, and to be honest with you, fairly regularly because of, of this realization, i got to tell you, there's just something that, 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 that I do probably once a day, at least once a day in my life. I just stop a couple times a day and I just say, I love you, Lord. And I want to encourage you to build that into your life. To stop several times throughout the day and just say, I love you, Lord. When we think about how much He has done for us, how intimately involved He's been personally in the shaping of our lives, how could we not stop periodically and say, God, thank you. Amen? God, I love you. Friends, listen, some of us have never heard this. For some of us, this is eye-opening and mind-blowing. For others of us, it's in our head, but we are not experiencing it in our heart and in our life. God is very personal in His dealings with us. There's one more thing I want to bring out, though, and it's kind of similar to what we just talked about. God is personal in our salvation. Let me ask you a question. Did you know that you can have a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ? Did you know that? Many people don't know that. Many people don't realize that God is personal in our salvation, our relationship. Someone has said that the cause of all of our human miseries is a radical moral dislocation an upset in our relation to God and to each other. In other words, what they're saying is every problem is in some way related to a problem in a relationship. Every problem is either a problem between me and you, or it's a problem between me and my relationship with God. And much of that is caused by a dislocation, this person says, in our relationship with God because of our sin. Because of our sin, the Bible says that our sin has separated us, and that person just used the very descriptive word of dislocation. I am not located in the right place, right? Because of my sin, I am not located closely connected with God. Things are not right between us and God. And we needed something done about it. And God did. That's why Christ came to die on the cross to pay for our sins. And when Christ rose again to offer us the victory of eternal life. But don't you understand something very clearly today? Listen, friends, when you were saved, God did not just let you off the hook. 
God did not just acquit you of crimes. God did not just say, you have a debt. You don't, have to, you don't owe that debt anymore. Isn't that what you'd want to have happen at the bank? Hey, I need to talk about my mortgage. Hey, don't worry about it. You don't owe that anymore. That's a good thing, amen? I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But it's not the only thing in our relationship with God. God goes beyond that. Let me give you an example. Think of us as being on trial. Okay? Think of us and our sins and what we've done wrong. I want you to think for just a moment about what are some of the things that you have done wrong in your life. What are some of the things that God wanted you to do that you did not do? Some people call those sins of omission. And then sins of commission are what are some things that you actively did that God did not want you to do? What are some of those things? Imagine that you were standing on trial and that God is the, God the Father is the judge. And imagine that Jesus is our attorney. And imagine that the devil, the enemy, is the prosecution against us. But Jesus is not only our attorney, he also offers to be our substitute. In other words, our attorney looks at the judge and says, listen, I realize that my, that my, that my client is, is guilty. I realize that my client needs to pay the price for what they've done wrong. But here's what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to stand in his place and take his sentence for him. So this is what God the Father, sitting on the bench, says to me. He says, okay, Robbie, someone has to pay this debt that you owe. I can't let that go. Somebody's going to have to pay it. But since Jesus is going to pay it, then you are acquitted. You're free to go. That's a good thing. Amen. That means I'm not going to hell. Amen. That means that I'm not going to face the judgment, the wrath of God. That's a good thing. Amen. But it's not the only thing. Because He is a personal God. Listen to this. Just as the handcuffs are being taken off me, they're being put on Jesus, and He's being led out the side door, and He's being led to jail. He's being turned, uh, taken out of the courtroom, and as I'm walking out of the courtroom, God the Father says, but wait, Robbie, there's something else. And then the judge steps down from the bench... And he says, not only are you acquitted, not only are you free to go, but your attorney was my son. And if my son thinks so much of you that he would be willing to take up for you as your attorney and plead your case, and then when you were found guilty that he would be willing to stand in your place and pay your penalty for you, not only are you free to go, but now I am now welcoming you into my very own family. Isn't that incredible? I wouldn't need the bank president to have me part of his family. Just say, just say I'm done with the mortgage. Amen. But when it relates to God, what a privilege. What a personal God. He doesn't just say, okay, I did what it takes to let you off, but I want to have a relationship, a close, personal relationship with you. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. It says, For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption. Adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That word Abba means dear daddy. 
It's a term of intimacy where God is saying He wants us to come very close, very near to Him in relationship. Listen, friends, if you've heard this before, you're just going to, you know, you're going to be tempted to say, I know that. I know that God's a personal God. And I pray that God would open up your heart to receive this in a way maybe like you haven't in years before. God did not have to be this way towards me. But He has. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Our young people who are doing that hunger strike, by the way, they raised $6,000. Our young people who are probably men. Some of the people that that money is going to feed are orphans. They don't have moms and dads. But the Bible says when we receive Christ as our Savior, we are adopted into the family of God. We become children of God. And some of you say, I thought I was a child of God. Friends, listen, we are, our, we are all created by God in His image, but we are not children of God. As we're born into this world, we're separated from God. We are outside of His family. But God made a way for us to be reconciled with Him and brought into His family. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, we have a lot of good stuff coming to us because we're children of the King. Isn't that incredible? God has not only forgiven us, He's adopted us into His family. My friends, it's even more than that. Listen, I want you to listen to a verse that, uh, that I found this week in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Bible says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in His love. And as I was studying that word, I thought, I don't, I don't get what that means. He will be quiet in His love. What does that mean? One translation of that is, he will be speechless in his love. Isn't that an awesome statement? He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy, with singing. Now, now friends, the reason I share that verse is because some of us have this view of God. For many of us that have been in church, or maybe you've never grown up in church, but you've had different perceptions. We have this image of God that He's overpowering, that He's mean, that He's oppressive. Listen, friends, I'm not trying to take away from the, from the, the, the danger and the difficulty and the, the consequences and the pain and, and the judgment even of sin. Because of our sin, we are going to face the judgment of God. But God is not happy about that. He's not wanting to judge us. In fact, He's not willing to perish, so much so that He would send His Son to die in our place. So he's trying to make it possible for us to be acquitted. He's trying to make it possible to be part of his family. But he's even a little bit extravagant in his love. These verses tell us that God rejoices over us with shouts of singing. When I first heard those verses, I just thought to myself, that is an image of God that I don't know if I've ever had. God rejoicing over me with shouts of joy. 
That sounds more to me like somebody watching the NBA Finals and their team winning. Amen? I mean, I'm more that way with college football, with my team. You can ask my kids. I mean, I'm like, yes! I mean, Pastor Robbie doesn't get like overly animated except when I watch a college football. And I'm like, yes! Go! Go! I mean, I'm high-fiving, I'm jumping up and down, I'm excited. I don't know if I would ever have that view of God. Amen? What a personal and caring and loving God is revealed to us in His Word. It truly is amazing. Amen? Now, there's a lot of us that walked into this room today and you did have different views of God, didn't you? For many of us, we have the impression that He's that harsh parent. Or maybe you went to that religious school and you got slapped on the hands you know, for doing something wrong. So you've got this picture of God that he's very, he's very strict. He's very harsh. And again, I'm not trying to take away from the fact that God does speak truth and there are things that are real and things that are true and things that will hurt and things that are right and things that are wrong. But God's emphasis to us is that He wants to have a relationship with us. And Some of you have never heard that before. and Some of you have heard it. But you've stopped experiencing it, haven't you? We've learned a lot of things about God over the last few weeks. God is holy. God is different than anybody else. He is is undescribable. Amen? He is beyond. He is outside of. God is good, we've learned. He's gracious, He's kind, He's merciful. God knows everything. God is all-powerful. He's the Almighty. He can do anything. But what we're learning today is that same great, big, massive, bigger-than-the-universe God is in His nature and in His treatment towards us and specifically in our salvation experience as a very, very personal God. And we should be glad for that. Amen? God didn't just let me off. He brought me in. And that makes a difference in my life every single day. Sometimes I stop and say, I love you, Lord, because He let me off. But most of the time it's because He brought me in. And the more I get to know Him, and the more I relate to Him, the more I want to say, I love you, Lord. Amen? You know, we want to think of the qualities of personhood as being human and put that back on God. Did y'all realize God was here first? God is not limited by humanity, but he does, there, there are these qualities that we would call personhood. Some of these things that we've talked about that reflect personhood. We, we tend to think of that as human, and oh, God's like that. No, God's like that, and we reflect Him. We didn't make this up and put it back on Him. We would not even know personality if there wasn't a personal God who created us in His image. The more you think like that, the more you just say, wow, God, 
I'm impressed. Amen. And I hope it leads you to say, so what do I need to do about that? Would you ask that question right now? What do I need to do with the understanding of a God who is like this? What's the answer to that question for you? Maybe it's I need to give my life to Him. Did you know there is none like Him? There are people in this room, 60, 70, 80 years old, they'll tell you I've, I've been the world over. There is no one like God. So if you're 15, if you're 25, if you're 35, go ahead and save yourself a few decades, amen? Would you give your life to Jesus Christ? He is all that and more. <laughs> and if you're a follower of His, maybe God's speaking to you about your relationship with Him. God offers so much relationship to me. Am I fully experiencing the extent of what He has made available to me? Am I spending time with Him? Am I walking with Him? Am I serving Him? Am I sharing Him? Whatever it is. And I don't intend to overwhelm you with that because we're all failing in many ways. Amen. I'm just saying, what is God saying to you? In light of what you're learning about me, what does that mean for your life right now? Is there some sin in your life you need to deal with? I'm going to ask you to bow before the Lord with me. So we wrap up not only this message, but this series. Next week, we're not doing God is. We'll be going on to whatever else it is that God has for us next. We'll still be talking about God. We'll we'll still be talking about His work in our lives. And I just wonder over the last four or five, six weeks, what has God been saying to you about who He is, about what He's wanting to do in your life? very likely some people here that have never given their life to Christ you didn't know God was like this but now you do he's speaking to your heart isn't he he has a way of saying what this man is saying is true and I want you to follow me if God is speaking to your heart right now would you say yes would you say yes Jesus I believe in you I believe you died for me for my sins in my place and that you rose again and that you have the power to give me life that lasts forever. And I ask you to come into my life and be my Savior. Forgive me for what I've done against you. But God, don't just forgive me for my sins. Thank you that you invite me into your family. And I want to become a child of God.
is holy. God is good. God is all-powerful. What is God saying to you? Father, I thank you for your word, because if it was not for your word, we'd be guessing. We wouldn't know. We would hope so, maybe so. But very likely, God, we, we would get it all wrong, just like religion does. Thank you that you have spoken. Thank you that we can know who you are. But I pray that we would not just hear the information. I pray that we would let you work in our lives. This is our prayer in Jesus' name.